Welcome to the Teaching That Counts podcast. I'm your host, Abel Maestas, and I am an instructional coach in Ceres, California, which is right in the heart of Central California. Today, I'm super excited about this podcast today. We're talking to two administrators here in our district that are looking at how does building thinking classrooms how can the practices that Peter Lilladal shares in his book, how can that affect their school, their school culture, their classes, their math classes, how this affects students, how some of the things can be taken into assessment and grading? We, we just have a really great conversation about the admin lens because a lot of times, you know, on previous episodes of this podcast, we've talked to a lot of teachers and um, in the first 10 episodes. We had teachers that were going through a book study, and we talked about how these practices were going in our classes, what we've learned, and how the teachers were using them with their students, and just a lot of the transformative nature of building thinking classrooms and the 14 practices that were in the book. We also talked to some coaches on how we were implementing them with teachers in classes, and we actually had a really great conversation with a special ed teacher. We haven't been able to talk to some admins. So, you know, the admin perspective is a bit different than the teacher perspective. You know, they have the the job of really, you know, managing the school. They're the managers of our school. They're the people that do the evaluations of the teachers. So, you know, what is the, what do these 14 practices when put into a teacher's uh, pedagogy, what does that do to their evaluation? Like, what does the admin see as the best parts of the of building thinking classrooms? You know, I've had some teachers, sometimes I'll talk about building thinking classrooms, and I'll say, you know, these, these practices really increase engagement, students are more invested, there's a, a really great SEL aspect to them. And um, there's just so much human data that we get out from students increasing their agency, their mathematical identities, and their confidence with mathematics. But a lot of times I get the question, well, what do the what do the test scores look like? And, you know, I, I get it. I understand that, you know, we're in this in this place where Test scores are, you know, standardized tests are given to our students every year. And we have to, you know, we, we have to test our kids. But those aren't the only data that exist on whether or not our students are doing well in mathematics, right? We have math practices that aren't always tested in those assessments. Stand, those are the standards for math practice. And we know, we know that, that, Students do better when their mathematical identities are positive, um, when they have a growth mindset. And, you know, the work from Joe Bowler, the work from Carol Dweck, the work from uh, many other researchers in mathematics education shows us that we can really make positive effects when we get students to believe that they are math people. Anybody can be a math person. It's just that we have so much focused on test scores that sometimes we lose the student data in terms of the human data, right? So um, 
it's interesting to talk to some admin about how we can use building thinking classrooms to understand that data a little bit more to think about what it does for our kids and how it can change like i said the culture not necessarily the test scores because those will come but the culture of our school and really how they see these practices being transformative not only for their math teachers but also for their ELA teachers, their social science teachers, and other content areas, that really these practices can be beneficial for all those those courses. So we have a great conversation lined up here in this next podcast with two uh, wonderful administrators, and I really think you should get you'll get a lot out of it. So here we go. Here's the next episode of Teaching in the Counts. Thanks again for for joining me on this adventure. I'm uh, excited to talk to two principals in our district today, Rogelio Adame and Steve Merchant. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves, talk to us a little bit, just explain to the listeners a little bit about your sites. And like I said, I'm really excited to talk to you guys about Building Thinking Classrooms, the conference that we went to, and really as an ad- ad- administrators, what you kind of see this uh how it maybe will change the culture of your schools and, and how it will be effective for your teachers. So Steve, just tell us a little bit about your school. Yeah. Hey, thanks Abel for having uh, myself and Mr. Adame on this podcast today. Uh, this is my second year here at Whitmore Charter Schools. We operate a K-12 um, school. It's actually two schools on one campus. SAT is our Whitmore Charter School of Arts and Technology. We're a dependent tar- charter here in the series. Um, that's K-8 about 550 students and we have our uh, small high school which is a university model so kids really like they don't have to come to school on friday that'd be cool if you didn't have to come yeah four day week four day week Mm -hmm. yeah which is uh, getting more popular in uh, businesses nowadays i think it should get more popular with uh, school administrators too. <laughs> Four day weeks sound pretty good, Dr. Wickham, if you're listening. Um, yeah, so our kids come on a Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday schedule for high school. Some come all four days, but they're doing work outside of classroom also. Cool. Yeah, so I'm Rogelio Dame. I'm the principal over at Caesar Charles Junior High School. Um, we are a school that has our seventh, seventh and eighth grade students there. We have... <laughs> We have a unique thing about our site is we have a what we call a dual language immersion strand at our site. Uh, we have about 120 students that um, we've handed over from Lucas Elementary uh, here in the series. They take a they take three courses that are full on in Spanish. So we'll take a history, a Spanish, and a science class as a seventh and an eighth grader, um, and it's full on 100% in Spanish, which is pretty unique at, at our site. We have about 650, um, give or take, uh, students on our campus, um, and about 32 um, certificated staff members, along with about 30 classified staff. We, and again, it's a very traditional junior high school type, type, of, type of school. Cool. Well, two very different places, but uh, still, I think we're going to get a whole lot of the changes that have been re- really occurring and, and just a little bit of a backtrack, uh, just recently the math, California math framework was adopted a couple weeks ago, I believe. And so we're really looking at how does teaching mathematics, how is that going to shift based on our California framework and based on the things that we've been doing in series for the last few years. So both of you 
had the opportunity to attend the Building Thinking Classrooms Conference in Indiana with us. And uh, I, I just wanted today to, to kind of get a sense of what you guys thought. And as an administrator, how do you see it connecting to what the work that you guys do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll jump first. Yeah. One, um, I see this as now a current site administrator, but also as a former math teacher myself. This is one of those things where um, I wish I would have had some of this information back when I was in the classroom. Yeah. Um, this, the, some of the things that I'm seeing, um, you know, these practices that are being done are absolutely highly engaging for students, which I like to prime myself that I would do some engaging stuff with my kids, but not at this level. Yeah. Um, as a site administrator, this is something that one, I want to kind of continue to push and support my teachers and be able to do some of these things in their classrooms and not only just in mathematics, but in other subjects as well. Mm. Um, I currently have a teacher who is fully submerged in some of these BTC concepts and some of the things that we're seeing in our classroom are just it's just amazing. One, behaviors are down. Highly engaged kids are participating, actively participating. And then we also see it in some of her data that's being produced, like how academically successful some of these kids are performing, which hey, is fantastic. Hey, Roy, what uh, classroom is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think you might know that. That teacher. I'm not sure if you're familiar <laughs> with her, but her name is Mrs. Merchant. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Happens yeah. to be my wife. <laughs> um, so again, as a matter of fact, we back in March we had a uh, professional learning day, and I had asked her if she wouldn't mind running a session for our staff and kind of just sharing and demonstrating some of the things that she's doing in her class, and she did by not just telling them what we're doing, but also putting them in, in that perspective and being the students. And they were like, hand, our staff were hands-on doing what students would typically do in a classroom. And again, because she is a uh, special education teacher, she has the advantage of doing and implementing some of these things in her other curricular subjects, such as English or social studies or any other, any other subject. So she was able to also just share with teachers how some of these things can be implemented in their curricular classes. Cool. Thanks. We'll get back to that. I got a question about that. Well, I was just thinking that's a nice segue because this time last year, I can't remember if it was June or July, Sydney, my wife was listening to the Building Thinking Classrooms audiobook. And I like the audiobooks, but I need to have a physical book in my hand. Yeah. So I ordered the orange book on Amazon. I was flipping through it. And I got caught real quick when they talked about a lot of math is just mimicking. Mm -hmm. I remember teaching math also, and mostly in eighth grade, you're writing something on the board like 3x plus 7 equals y. All right, kids, write 3x plus 7 equals y. And it's just a lot of, that's kind of how we taught. Yeah. Um, And so that caught me right away when they talked about a lot of students are off task. At best, they're mimicking. Um, There's really not a lot of thinking happening. That that just connected with me when I was reading um, last year. Uh, for the conference this year, it was neat to bring one of my teachers who's going to be a new middle school math teacher and one of my instructional coaches who's new to our site also. Um, just They both read the book or at least skimmed through it. Um, I know they got a lot, a lot out of the conference, and I had a couple sessions that I really liked. One of them was a grouping of three. We were going through some uh, tasks together, 
and the presenter was acting as if he was the teacher. But it was neat because in my group, I had one person who was an editor for one of the companies that was there as a sponsor, and one guy that was a um, advanced math. He taught college and um, high school math, so he's super smart. Hmm. But with the three of us together, um, we're just going through the different levels of tasks, and it was cool just to see, see how his brain picked up patterns and her brain hmm. picked up patterns and my brain picked up patterns. And kind of without even prompting, we just kind of thought, like, is there another way to do this? Is there a more efficient way to do this? And just kind of organically, we paired up with the group next to us. And so we were yeah. kind of like just sharing things back and forth. And as he was talking about consolidating from the bottom and going around and um, I forget the term, but like using your network of people around you, we just started doing that before he even told us to. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Knowledge and mobility is what he calls that. Yeah. This is naturally happening. Yeah, because I wanted to see what you were doing. And you're a really good math teacher. I'm like, hey, right. what's he doing over there? <laughs> yeah, he talks about in the book, too, uh, how knowledge and mobility, you know, I think some teachers think, oh, well, you know, they're just going to be doing what the other students are doing and just using it to mimic. But that's not what happens. The students, they tend to take a look. Oh, I see what they did. And then go back to, to their own work. And you kind of are saying that that's kind of what happened to you, too. It's... I want to see what they're doing. How does that compare to what I did? Oh, what did I do? So that, that I feel like that's a real life thing. We do it all the time. I know that, you know, I, you guys probably play video games. I play video games. So I'm on a video game and I'm, oh, I just can't, like I'm struggling with this one area. And so what do most people do nowadays when they struggle with a video game? They go to YouTube yeah. and they go to YouTube to Watch see what else, else, what else mm-hmm. to get an idea. Oh, I get an idea. Okay. Now I'm going to go and, and try this out. So it's not as much mimicking as it is trying to use your resources. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back to one thing that you had said, Roy, about, um, the other course, the other courses, not just math. And I know at the conference, there were some sessions on do, using the BTC style in other courses, social studies. I think there was one in ELA. Mm-hmm. Did either of you happen to be able to go to one of those sessions or have a teacher go that talk to you about it? Yeah. So I haven't connected back with our coach because I also took, um, there was one of my teachers that went with me, Mrs. Merchant. She attended the <laughs> conference. Then also had my instructional coach also attend. Um, and the idea behind that was being able to bring back as much as you can to be able to share out with um, other departments such as ELA, science and social studies. She had, attended the e- one of the ELA ones. I just haven't connected with her, so I can't speak on what she gained out of that session. Okay. No, I didn't go to any sessions that weren't math-specific, um, but I did go to a session that had, um, I forget if there were sixth grade or seventh grade students, and that was really cool, too, because we worked with the students on some tasks, but what I enjoyed the most was just asking kids, like, so how do you like this? And the one girl we had, she was very honest in saying that she did not like this one bit to start with. Huh. She liked sitting at her desk, doing her own work, listening to what the teacher said. And she made a comment that it was easier. And uh, I could tell she was an athlete. And I said, what sport do you play? She said, basketball. I said, okay. So are you good at left-handed layups? She's like, no, not really. I said, okay. So it's easier to do right-handed layups. But if you need to do left-handed layups, you have to practice it more, right? It's like, yeah. I said, okay. So if your teacher just tells you how to do a left-handed layup, are you practicing it? It's like, no, not really. I said, but what if like she shows you, then you have to go do it yourself? It's like, oh, that makes way more sense. <laughs> and so I, she had already uh, shifted her mindset during the year. Uh, but just having that conversation with like an authentic 
12 year old or 13, however old she was, she totally got it and helped me kind of conceptualize too. Like some kids won't like it necessarily at the beginning, but if they see the value in it, that the, um, they'll be more bought in. Yeah. Hey, you're affecting a kid in Indiana, <laughs> all the way from California. Hopefully without left hand. Left hand and layup, right? <laughs> yeah. I used to tell my students that math isn't a spectator sport. You know, I can't, I can't look at Kobe Bryant or LeBron James and go, oh yeah, I can do that. And then go out in the court and do it. Like it just, you got to practice and practice and practice. And it's not always about like, oh, I see how he's doing it. Let me do it exactly the same way. Cause that's not, that's, that's also not, I mean, you, you watch uh, some of the shooters and they all have different styles of free throws, different styles of things. So um, we're definitely taking those, pieces of what students are coming in with and then using that to really build up the mathematics. So kind of looking at a bigger, I guess a bigger scope because you, you two, I mean, you run a school, right? And the head administrator for the school, how do you see some of these things helping the culture of your school? Cause I, I really feel like as I read through his material, as I've gone through some of the conference um, pieces that I think that some of the building thinking classrooms can really help in a culture aspect uh, on a bigger scale than just in in my classroom. So how do you guys see that possibly helping your culture of your school? I'll take it first. From building thinking classrooms, I see a big focus on a few things. One of them being like number sense and understanding what's going on. Um, I also really like the visibly random groups. I think mm-hmm. that allows for students to work with, because if I'm given the choice, I'm going to work with my buddy or I'm going to yeah. work by myself if I prefer that or whatever it is. But I think with the um, everyday having visibly random groups, even sometimes multiple times in a lesson, mm-hmm. I think that is a, a nice way to um, quote unquote force kids to work with other kids, but to hear different perspectives. And so much thinking is like invisible, but you get to hear how kids think or if Roy's holding the pen, I get to actually see how he's thinking. I think that just helps students with their number sense in general. But I also think it helps with the culture piece too, because it it shows that all of us are on the same track. Mm. We're all going the same way. Maybe our paths are a little different, but we're all trying to do math together. We're all trying to learn together. Um, we're all kind of on this journey, you know, together. And that, I think that builds that community of the school. It it almost sounds like it it differentiates and equalizes at the same time, mm-hmm. allows kids to be at the same place, same task, same level, but then also express their different ways of thinking and, and put it puts an appreciation to each of those different ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, coming from a professional learning community site, it almost becomes a professional learning community for students as well. Um, mm. And, Moving forward, I think if, if, if this was something that we can see, you know, through um, cross-curricular subjects, right, this almost builds that community of we are doing things collaboratively. Uh, you know, yes, you know, being able to use resources, but we're doing things together. And like Steve said, you know, just being able to um, see, others, see others thinking. The random groups, I think, is, is key um, because you get to know a lot more kids throughout the school years, throughout classes, and being able to see them outside. Um, not only that, but think about just the the relationship that you'll have with all your teachers when you're in a space where you're able to, one, be able to express your thinking, but also be allowed to take risks and be acceptable, right? Because I can see an opportunity where something 
you know, a teacher can bring the class over to a specific whiteboard and say, hey, let's do like a little, you know, problem analysis on this, on this particular thing, on an error analysis and figure out what happened here, right? But building that safe space to allow that conversation to happen mm-hmm. and, and, and being acceptable, being okay. Yeah. So. Absolutely. All right. So I have a question that I know teachers are going to be asking about, and I've got two administrators here sitting down. So I'm going to ask the question that I know is going to come up. You guys are in charge of evaluations. And a lot of times I know teachers are, you know, they, they want to make sure that the kids, you know, nobody got the, nobody got into this profession to test, right? We, we, we want kids to learn to love math. And, uh, but at the same time, they know they're getting evaluated. They want to make sure that they're doing the things that they need to keep doing when they get evaluated. So how do you, just based on the, the things that we've been doing the few years, building thinking classrooms, how does this affect or help your evaluation process? And really, what are you, what are you looking at when you go in to a classroom and you're just doing an observation, even if it's informal? What are you looking for, both uh, the teacher doing and the students doing? Yeah. For, for me, and I know it's probably similar with a lot of administrators, is how actively engaged are kids? Um, are they producing? Are they learning? And how do we know that that is happening, right? And I think this model allows to see those things. One, it's absolutely appropriate for even like teachers to take risks. And if I were to see something like this and be part of the evaluated process, there's a, a there's a chunk of, um, what is it, um, organization planning and design, uh, which is the first piece. And I think that kind of hits all of those marks on there that there are, it's a lesson that's organized, it's well planned, the delivery of it, the design of it, um, it kind of hits all those marks, especially if you see those kids in there that they're participating and they're actively engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Sticking with the evaluation theme. Um, one of the elements is also um, learning environment, hmm. which um, in my evaluations, I kind of break them into two pieces. Like, what does the environment physically look like? Is it conducive to learning? And also, what like, what's the socio-emotional environment in a classroom? Are kids comfortable asking each other questions? Are they comfortable asking the teacher questions? How are they interacting with each other? So I think a lot of the collaboration pieces in building thinking classrooms and vertical non-permanent services and visibly random groups and consolidating learning... All of those things lend themselves really well to very um, productive, socio-emotional classroom environment. Absolutely. You know, I when I was in the classroom, I was teaching AP Calculus. I taught a lot of math, but I, specifically AP Calculus. And my principal, uh, Linda Stubbs, she would tell me that she would come in and she had no idea what the students were doing because she didn't understand that she didn't understand the calculus. But she knew that they were learning because she can just sit there and watch students talking about math and up at those whiteboards. And you can I just I love coming into a class that's using building Dean classrooms because you can hear the math being done and you can see the math being done. And the teacher isn't the one doing the math. And I know that I was talking to my wife this week and she said, I think I heard at the, the conference Peter Lildall say the one who's doing the math is doing the learning. And I think that a lot of times we we used to anyway, the ratio of teacher talk to student talk was so much 
unbalanced to the teacher that the teacher's the one doing the learning and the students are the ones not. And so I think this gives us a good opportunity. Yeah, I was fortunate uh, to have a teacher who's no longer here. I think she moved out of state, but she was a fantastic math teacher. And she used a lot of the principles from building thinking classrooms. Also, in some of her upper math classes, I didn't know exactly what was happening. (laughs) But like you were mentioning, it's easy to see when kids are learning. You can tell by the level of engagement, by the conversations they're having. They're not just sitting there idly doing nothing. Yeah. All right. So um, we're going to we're going to wrap this up with one more thing. I, I ton of great information from you guys on really building the culture in your classrooms, evaluations, all of the things that are important to a school and important to the teachers as they listen to, to hear what their administrators are looking for. How does this, we've been doing a lot of things on grading and in our district, we're looking at, you know, really how do we get some uh, equitable grading and grading, we call it grading for growth. How do you think some of these things in building thinking classrooms can help teachers with their evaluation of students? When I hear you ask that question, I think about proficiency skills. I also think about justifying learning. That with some of the practices in building thinking classrooms, it may not be the traditional homework quiz test. Some of those elements may be there, but it also might be the way that I see people working together in a group. So I think about individual elements of the proficiency scale, and I think about just moving learning forward. And it does come a little bit challenging when, when you think about entering grades into the gradebook. And what, how does that fit? It's not, I think people like things that are black and white and really mm-hmm. easy. I think part of our jobs as professionals in education is to make the things that are complex more simple. And that's kind of the journey that we're on, too, is figuring out how to take this kind of big nebulous idea and make it simple. Yeah. It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other things, too, when you think about um, BTC is you think about some of those those pillars, right? So, like, is the learning measurable? Are we providing clarity? Is recovery possible? Some of those things as well. And it kind of, again, it kind of hits all those marks when you think about some of the things um, that are happening in the classroom. One of the things... Uh, we talked about assessments and what that assess what assessments can look like. Doesn't always have to be, you know, a pen and pencil or some sort of form or something they fill out. It could be a task on the board, right? That students are doing and they're demonstrating right, yeah. that they've uh, have mastery of that standard by demonstrating in front of you, right? So something simple as that can be considered a form of an assessment, right? So those are things that kind of BTC lends itself of that flexibility of being able to demonstrate mastery. Yeah, we definitely switched the idea from assessment to evidence of learning. Mm-hmm. And at, at, you know, I think we've all had when we were teachers and we were in the classroom, we had those kids. Oh, man, they, I swear they knew how to do this. And then they just bombed a quiz or bombed a test. And so m- maybe it was the test. Maybe it was the the test or quiz anxiety or something, but we know that we have multiple pieces of evidence that we can take. And he, and he does talk about that in later chapters mm-hmm. as they move on. So last thing, where do you guys see this going in the future for your schools? Well, I know that my new um, Monica Woods, our new middle school math teacher, is going to be implementing some of these things pretty much right away. Um, she went to the conference. She's very excited. I know I have some other teachers that are interested as well. One thing we all try to do is offer um, choice when we're doing professional learning. So I, I have the idea of having um, a little break-off session of one of our upcoming PDs of some of the building thinking classroom principles 
It'd be great if I could even um, pull some ideas on how to extend that into other curricular areas too. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Similarly, uh, there's some of our teachers that want to start doing it, but some of them didn't attend the conference. They couldn't, but they want to know how. So being able to support them and how, how to do that. And it's okay to ease them into this as well, right? Not just, boom, this is a building thinking classroom and here we go. But there's, there's some of the things that I feel like some teachers are comfortable doing or willing to quite let go yet, which is completely fine. But starting to see some of the implementation, some of these things as well in the classroom would be fantastic. Yeah. And he said, he was there. He said, you know what? It's the first three things have to come together. But after that, it's really building on onto each of those. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, I thank both of you for joining me today. And just Incredible. a quick plug, Roy, uh, I am doing a building theme classroom session next week. So if any teacher wants to come and, and uh, experience that next awesome. week, I'm going to be leading some sessions and doing some things this year. So thank you again for joining me. And uh, thank you out there for joining me for this episode. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for having us. Bye, guys.